Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of the podcast. And I want to thank my listeners from around the world who've been joining me on quite a journey of uh, interviewing authors from around the world, uh, imparting their wisdom on us. And I appreciate each and every one of you. And joining me from London, England today is Simon Tyler. And Simon has a new book out called The Impact Code, 50 Ways to Enhance Your Presence and Impact at Work. Good day to you, Simon. How are you doing? Good day, Greg. I'm doing very, very well. well great to be podcast. I appreciate having you on, and it's always great to get international authors and get some perspective from around the world. And I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. First off, okay. for my listeners, uh, you can find Simon at Simon, and that's T-Y-L-E-R dot com. That's his website. So it's Simon, S-I-M-O-N, T-Y-L-E-R dot com. That's where you can watch some videos. You can learn more about Simple Notes. You can learn more about Simon. And by the way, this book is a lid publishing book. It is available on uh, Amazon and all your best booksellers. Simon's philosophy advocates that in order to move forward, you must create a space, clear away what is confusing, and then take action to clarify and simplify your interactions with the world. Talented corporate clients have worked with Simon to enhance their impact, which is what we're going to be talking about today, the impact code, and professional practice in a way that transforms their approach to business and shows measurable change in their personal as well as commercial lives. He's been hired by many leading and evolving global corporations, working with their teams and individuals and the leaders, including uh, the ANZ Bank, BP, Castro, Cisco, DuPont, Lloyd's Banking Group, Marks & Spencer, Morgan Stanley, Volkswagen Group, and he has been engaged privately by executives across the world. Uh, he's one of the most experienced mentors in the world. Simon has over 4,000 hours of one-to-one -one coaching experience with over 500 leaders and executives. Uh, he's also appeared on many countries and worked with thousands through the Attitude Vitamin Project. Well, Simon, this is a fascinating book. It's a quick read. That's the whole point of these little concise advice books. And, you know, you start this book off and you state that through heightening your awareness and elevating then adapting the impact you have on others, you can ensure the best possible outcome more often and in all your modes of communication. What are just some of the ways that somebody like yourself is advocating to my listeners or recommending how are they going to have as a leader, even not as a leader, but having more impact on others? Okay. Um, big question. like that question. Great. Thank you very much. And a big introduction as well. And obviously I've heard it before because I, I must have been involved in producing that. But <laughs> yes, the, the, you were. The, the question itself is a good one. I've just come back from speaking at a conference of some senior leaders in an organization, first level down leaders, to help them work through the next stage in where their corporate strategy is going. And I always, of course, talk about strategy. That's about impact. That's where I start. And the truth is that everybody has impact all the time. All the time you're alive, you're having impact. And the more conscious you are of what's happening, the more deliberate you can be to shift it, change it, to have the sort of impact you want to, want to have and desire to have, as opposed to it being accidental and inconsistent. So I'm not sure where to, to elaborate right, right now in terms of that question, but 
I, my I, learning is with working with all these people is we have impact all the time, so we might as well do something pretty cool with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the key is as a leader um, to, and you, we'll get into that in some of the questions. Leaders, more importantly, have more of an impact, and the it's not that everybody has an impact, but they really have to be a little more discerning about how they communicate. Um, I mean, obviously, all you from over in England are watching the circus that's going on in our political structure right now. And, you know, when we say circus, you know, I don't believe that half the candidates are leaders. That's the problem. And, you know, the impact they're making through the media is just unfathomable, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's a really great example of something that's happening right here in our country um, which most of the public is just talking about and can't believe what's going on. Mm-hmm. Now, you state that there are five aspects of leadership impact. Let's mm-hmm. talk about those five aspects and how would a leader utilize them to make a greater impact? Okay. Uh, and obviously, Greg, you're tripping over some really interesting subjects that I'd, I'd love to go into. And your point about the, the circus you described that's going on, uh, on on your side of the pond at the moment is true. But the pure definition of leadership is, uh, or of a leader, is one who has followers. So whether we think they're leading or not, if, if they have followers, they are, by implication, they are a leader. So they are leading. Yeah. But I'm not, obviously, <laughs> they're consistent, uh, the messages and how they communicate. So your question about the five is important because these five things are happening all the time. And definitely in the circus that you're experiencing or we're seeing, we see all of these happening. First one is visual impact. It's obvious. And these five, by the way, have come from my work with executives, what I observe, how I've worked with people to enhance each of these five, and hence the impact code is full of, it's got 50 ideas and ways in which you can enhance, but they they sit around these five. First one, visual impact. Very obvious. It's what people see when they see you. Mm -hmm. Your clothes, your stance, your hand signals, your gestures, the way you hold and conduct yourself visually, it's, it's quite often it's the driving force and the first way somebody experiences a leader or a potential leader. And there are some big visual messages going on in the circus to which we were talking about. So people have impact. And a, a little example is, as I was working with a company fairly recently and, and talked about this and talked about visual impact. And I just said about being consistent in that if you want to wear a bermuda shirt that's fine if you want to wear a beautiful pinstripe suit then that's fine it doesn't matter there's no right or wrong it's just the consistency because people interpret how you come across in their way and there was one particular guy in the room i remember he shared it with me afterwards who absolutely got it and he was able to share with the group at the time he suddenly realized that the randomness of what he wore was, it was affecting how he came across to the people that he was leading. Mm-hmm. So if there was a client on site at his building, he would dress sharper. If there wasn't, he would dress very casually. And, of course, that's fine from a practical point of view, but he's leading his teams all the way through the day. So, again, I'm not saying it's the right answer. It was just the answer that worked for him. He went out and bought five white shirts, nice, nicely cut, nicely tailored white shirts, and he said, irrespective of what's going on, that's what I wear every day. Mm-hmm. And it was just an upgrade. And the whole thing, the whole of my emphasis in 
the impact code and other books is just to finesse and enhance is going to have a new result for you. So, so shall I run through the rest of the five? What, yeah, why don't you run through all five of them for my listeners so they understand, you know, what these aspects are, the impact that we can have. Okay. So we talked about visual. That's an obvious one. And th there's many things. And quite often people know what to do. Second is presence. And what I've discovered about presence is it's about what it's like when you show up. What's it like when you're in the room as opposed to when you're not in the room? What is your almost like the magnetism? What, what do you draw around you? What's it like to be with you? Exactly. And the, you're saying the charisma that you have, the energy you carry, the yeah. presence that you have in a room. I get that. So you've Absolutely. got a visual impact. You've got a, a presence impact. Um, okay. And then the third is connection. And this is a curious one. And people probably think, well, what does that mean? So when I get to connection, it's, again, as a leader, what are you connected to? How do you connect people together? For me, I notice connection is quite, it's, it's almost the heart of great leadership. Firstly, how you connect with other people, how you engage with them, how you form quick connections, if you like, and behaviorally you get on the same page or the same map of the world as others, and how, how easily you are able to use your words and use stories to connect with people. And also, the, the broader definition of connection is, who are you connected to? So when people are following you, there's, there's information, there's other groups. Uh, where are you affiliated? So the broader sense of connection too. And rather than just staying silent, really, and waiting for your turn to speak, it's important, as, you, as you're saying, it's the more senior, senior people are as leaders, it's more important that they have something to say and to guide people. That's all around connection. Mm -hmm. The fourth one is very obvious, and I call it verbal impact, but it could also include your written words. So how you cause a verbal impact might be the words you've used in a letter or an email or a text that your followers or potential followers are hearing in their own head as they read it to themselves. So verbally, what phrases do you use? What are your consistent recurring ums, ahs, basically's, because, or whatever word is in there? It might need to be cleaned up because you don't realise. In the UK, I don't, I'm sure in, in the US too, we've got this current endemic use of the word like. Mm -hmm. It's like this, it's like that. It's just constant like. And when you're in a presentation situation, if a person uses one consistent word over and over, it detracts from the goodness of their message. So mm -hmm. I hear the word like, and sometimes it's it's my my role as their coach or their mentor just to speak a bit of truth and say, you have a recurring word. I would say the word over here, Simon, is amazing. Everything's amazing. amazing. <laughs> I hear it so my, much. My you know, you're up. You hear a guy on the platform, or you hear these people on these TV shows, and everything's amazing. <laughs> oh, it's amazing! So, if everything's amazing, what is the scale of amazing? We know that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. exactly, exactly. I I catch myself. I use the word awesome probably too often mm -hmm. as a, as a standard as similar thing. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that great. So that's part of my journey of of cleaning up my yeah. vocabulary. And what's the fifth but, one? Say again. And what's the fifth one? Ah, the fifth one. Thank you very much. Is 
the big step? What happens as a result of you? So it's your leadership footprint. And this is this is a really interesting one. And when I've worked for a long period of time with people, we really get into this, which is what happens when you leave the room? What happens when people have been led by you or have experienced you or have been involved in anything with you? What is the lasting impact? So legacy, if you like, some people would refer this to, as. But do you leave people with a call to action? Do you leave people with a a sense of well, goodness and well-being and certainty? Do you leave people with uh, a compulsion to just to get involved with more? What is it that you cause? So the footprint that you've left in the snow once you've you've moved on. Mm-hmm. Now, one so of those things- five pan out throughout. Oh, they are definitely consistent, and I would agree mm. with you. Any leader, uh, whether you're middle management, upper management, or you're a mom or a dad, those all hold true for everybody. So, yeah. look, you state that, that you take a big deep dive in this book when you start talking about purpose um, yeah. and the fact that that people are more attracted to people with a heightened sense of purpose or they understand their purpose. What do you tell leaders out there today about not only coming from purpose, but truly living their purpose so that the individuals that they work around and uh, impact or have an influence on really understand what this person's about? And that would really also go along with your thing about identity, the I am, because, you know, that's a big confidence thing. So what what do you tell leaders today to to show or show up that way? Because we don't always see that. Let's face it. Yeah, and and that's a big one. And, and Greg, you're exactly right. In conversations that I'm sure you have with leaders, and, and I do, whether I'm their coach or their mentor, whatever the engagement is, just having the conversation with somebody like me, and there are lots of people who can add value, I'm sure, but just having the conversation creates a space where a leader can explore more about what their purpose is. And I know lots of people get tangled up in hunting their purpose. And what is it? What is it? This is it that? Am I supposed to be doing this? It doesn't matter. We may have many articulations of our purpose through our life. And when you're working with somebody like me, it's good maybe just to rest on one for a while. But you talk about in the book, the first impact note is purpose. And the third one is the big I am. Right. I, invite people, I invite people to to discover more about themselves. that They know already, often is the case, by starting with I am and get some truth behind it. I am, as I say, I am free, I'm resourceful, I'm happy or whatever it might be. But my approach is always with leaders as best I can to simplify it. Because when we get caught in what is it? I want to really articulate exactly what it is I'm all about. We can get tangled up in the complexities of all of the things we want and all of the things we want to influence in the world. Let's just simplify it. Yeah. And then it goes back to the first half of your question, which is let's just be simple and consistent. So if it is we want to cause a change in a certain way or a certain part of the world, then that's the important thing. It makes a decision for you every day on where your focus should be. And if your followers notice that you make yes-no decisions on where you spend your time aligned with what you say you're all about, then it becomes clear to them that you are a purposeful person. 
not only have you said it, but you're consistent and you just do the little things every day. It's more important for me to go and do that meeting than to spend time doing whatever at my desk, if that's consistent with your purpose. Does that make sense? Totally. And, you know, one of the things that you speak about and that you're about, because your prior book is a, a title on that, is, you know, leaders have a, a tendency, most leaders, to be about constant activity. You know, yeah. you say metaphorically cold things, but truly yeah. effective leadership needs some space to develop clarity. Now, I'm not... I. I I actually am a big meditator. I know that you need this downtime. I know that you have to have it to be able to think clearly and to actually think under pressure. What do you recommend to leaders listening today who are out there listening to you about the impact code to cultivate the space, this quote-unquote space needed to become a better leader? What What do you personally do and what are you advocating people do? Or not do yeah. as it, or not do as it may be, and not not do possibly is right is because one of, it's really it about being and doing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I I've talked about and in a previous book I talk about meditation for the busy leader and meditation as a word is accessible. You just mentioned that's part of your practice, but I do know in some of my client environments it's not a word that people can access. It's like well that's we don't talk about meditation so. The other word you use is space, just a bit of time. I talk to people about just taking three minutes. And in the in the the impact code, um, one of the recurring notes that I talk about at conferences and with individuals is number 40, which is called Mind the Gap. And it's it's the skill or the way in which you grasp and relish the gaps that appear in your week, in your day. And in the UK, on our underground system, underground rail system, we have everywhere the expression mind the gap printed on the platform to mind the gap between the platform and the train edge. And I like that and I laugh that and I I quote that in the book. But it's just a good call to action that says when a gap appears and when I'm doing a gap, I'm talking about probably less than five minutes. A meeting has been cancelled or somebody said they're going to be late for the meeting or your train, you notice on the board, is a few minutes late or you turn up to uh, your next client and you've got, by luck today, you're a few minutes ahead of schedule. What do you do in that gap? Because that's where, if you like, mini meditation opportunities exist. But all of us get tangled up in our busyness. So that gap appears, we go straight to our mobile phones or our laptops or whatever it is and have a look at emails, have a look at incoming texts uh have a look at the the news bulletins that have just come through on your on your web bulletin board and whilst i'm not saying they're wrong it's just the opportunity for your brain just to slow down to still for a couple of minutes can release so much more thought that we block and doesn't get through because we're busy 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 and of course the wonderful thing is busy people always look more important than important people. Yeah. I noticed that, which is <laughs> the, the antithesis of, of slowing down. But having worked with lots of people, if I can get them just to take every opportunity in a day, and there could be five or six little bites of three or four minutes, we're getting towards, you know, it could be as much as an hour a day of gaps 
where you have just stilled and maybe taken a few breaths. If I can get people there as well, all of a sudden I'm helping them change their whole body chemical setup too. And you will have better ideas. You will be able to approach a challenge you've been wrestling with from a different thought angle. And it might even be the inspirational idea. Because when you talk to people, I'm sure you have in, in many of your programs before, Greg, that where do people have the best ideas? It's in the shower or walking the dog or on the golf course. The places where you have created space in your brain, in your thinking capacity. And that's all I'm saying in Mind the Gap. I've prattled on a lot there, Greg, but hopefully that sort of captures your question. No, it does. So now look, um, change usually comes with change. Uh, oftentimes comes fear. Fear usually immobilizes people. It, most of the time will stop them dead in their tracks. What simple wisdom would you impart to the listeners about facing their own fears and what they think might be their worst nightmares? That's a big question, Greg. Goodness me. Um, I have to put my doctor's lab coat on perhaps to answer that question. Okay. But I'll have you do that and your glasses yeah. and stethoscope. Yeah. <laughs> Having faced some, you know, in my, my journey, my life journey, I've had some dark nights of the soul um, in recent times and had to face some some pretty tough challenges to get through. And what I learned again for myself, and it reminds me f for the service that I offer the world, if you like, is not to do it alone. Quite often, and I'm... <laughs> It's, it's, it is, I notice, more likely that um, men leaders go and try and dig in and go alone. I notice that um, the sweeping statement is a little bit that, that women leaders tend to have more established support networks around them than men do. It's changing, it's shifting definitely as, as the mix of diversity is changing, but we can't do it alone. To face a fear alone can be quite haunting and quite dark. So my advice would always be look at your support circle. And it might not necessarily be the people that report to you because they will want to see the strong you most of the time. You might need to find some peers or some mentors from outside of your business or a relationship, professional relationship with people like me where you can have a safe and secure conversation about you know, the real things that you're experiencing, fear, however that's showing up for you. It's so true. And I think it's great advice, actually, to have a partner, whether it's your spouse or uh, you're in a mastermind group or you're with a yes. bunch of buddies or however it might yep. be, to actually support you during this because uh, your perspective gets so narrowed when you're in fear. And mm. so the reality is to expand the perspective and see actually the opportunities that exist um, versus your narrow perspective as a result of the fear. Now, you have this yeah. turn down the downturn, and you quote quoted yep. Shakespeare from Hamlet. You said, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Ah, great quote. How do you advise people to not get so attached to the outcome? Okay, um... It's in my next book, which is coming out later this year, a risk of, of, of advertising my next book about attitude vitamin. It's, it's a choice. We do get a choice. And 
particularly in the commercial world right now, it's it's quite chaotic. It's shifting and changing all, all the time. And I've I've got a lot of clients in the banking and finance industry, and unsurprisingly, they've had some tough years. And you're surrounded by thoughts, ideas, conversations that are are downturn type conversations, and it can drag you down. So so my advice here is just notice almost how you're feeling in the environments that you're in. There's a couple of slides I often use in some of the conference talks I do, which is a clip of several newspaper headlines, and they talk about downturn type issues, uh, bad news sort of headings. And I invite the audience just to look and read as many of those headings as they can, little clips from newspapers, and experience what goes on for them. Mm-hmm. And then the corollary of that, I show a list of clippings from a different period of time, same newspaper, same periodicals, and they are not downturn, they're more optimistic headlines, and they are hopeful, still fact-based, and I ask people to experience the difference of feelings they have on just reading and, and experiencing those two slides. And it's, an, it's a no-brainer, really. People realise they feel worse and sceptical when they read the downturn headlines and when they read the upturn headlines they feel they do feel better and i hear the voices in the room there is a distinct difference in the tonal level of the chatter in big conferences when i hear this when they talk about the upturn but what's really curious is people say that they doubt the upturn headlines they think they are whimsical pollyanna type hopeful and skippity skippity happy headlines and absolutely because part of us is so used to bad news stories we're almost hungry for them and we want them and my point is just to notice how different environments people conversations newspaper radio tv notice what it does to you and that's the whole point about downturn turn down the downturn you get a choice about what you expose yourself to and what it causes in you. And that can really change not only the impact of the environment on you, but then your impact on other environments. And you become a force for positive change, not part of the flow of the negative change. Well, I think that brings me most appropriately to the next question, because the, the our our reality is a result of our perceptions. And you have a great quote in the book that we've convinced ourselves that our perception is like a truth that reveals Mm -hmm. a truth when in actual fact, perception does most of the work to create a truth rather than illuminate what is there already. My question for you is this, how do you help leaders help anybody find the real truth spelled with a capital T, mm-hmm. in their life? Good question, Greg. Goodness me, I'm liking these. It's having that question, posing that question two or three times sensitively in a conversation is quite interesting because when you ask it the first time, people will give you the obvious truth. When you ask the second time, they it's quite curious. They say, well, okay, you're asking me the same question again. Then we tend to explore what else might be really true. 
when you ask it a third time at a risk of it being annoying, the same question, that's when you really get into a dialogue with someone that explores the capital T truth that you describe. And I love, I love just to mention, because I've interviewed her a few times, Byron Katie is a master yes. at this. Yeah. You know, is it true? Is it really true? Is it really, really true? I yeah. love how she gets people on the stage and does that. And you really do see an amazing change, don't you, Simon? Yeah. And people doubt it. And and you, and you go through, as you say, a bit of resistance to the third time you ask. But it works. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the truth, well, when I'm working with people who are in, in tough environments, quite often, and it's not remedial work that I'm doing, but quite often I'll get them to a place to say everything is okay. Because when we start there, the brain is the brain, the mind, the soul, whatever it is, is so clever. We don't really yet understand it. But whatever you put in almost as the input punch card, the brain naturally goes off to try and prove in in a, a previous book. I wrote about the thinker thinks the prover proves. So your brain thinks something and then the other part of the brain goes off to prove it. Uh-huh. So that's why I try and get just a stall point in for people and say, Everything is okay. Now, let's start from there. What evidence have we got? What's the truth that everything is okay? And that can, for some people who are in tough situations, be a real difficult trawl through what's going on. But you get there. And as soon as you've almost gone through that cycle one or two times, they start to be able to more reasonably hold and believe that everything is okay. And you start to kickstart creating some real truths but it goes back to your original point perception we whatever we we expect and and almost perceive we we're making much of this happen ourselves yeah and and it's so it, it, to some people it might be easy to observe but more difficult to change so everybody talks about transformation i go but that's an overused word yeah. what does transformation mean it means different things to different people you're going to transform yeah. me physically you're going to transform me mentally you're going to transform me spiritually what what is that but you know at the onset of all transformative thinking which we're talking about here you have what's uh, at, at at best, Simon, this situation where there's a mindset that exists. Um, there is a there is a perception about what you believe is real. Okay, that's your mm-hmm. reality, um, and the only way to shift that is basically to look at a, like a pattern interrupt. What are these patterns that I'm doing? So yeah. if I look, I put a camera down on myself, and I go, well. Am I serving myself or is this good for me Uh, to be able to change the habit, change the behavior, change the belief, right? All of those kind of come in line. And that's what you're talking about here. When you really dig deep into asking this question, is it true? You find out that what you're telling yourself is really most of the time not true. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really an important factor. Well, Simon, how do my listeners get a hold of you, uh, learn more about uh, Simon Tyler, The Impact Code, um, your other book as well? Um, where would you recommend that they go? Uh, any YouTube videos, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter? What's yeah, do there? all of those things. So okay. Facebook is uh, Simon Tyler, Simplicity Coach Simon Tyler. Okay. Um, Obviously, my website, which you thankfully you quoted at the beginning, which is simontyler.com. Mm-hmm. And 
there's LinkedIn for those on LinkedIn, which is quite simply my handle on that is Simon Tyler. And my Twitter feed is simply Simon T. So at simply Simon T, no spaces. So and I'm my relationship with social media is really curious. I'm not sure where I am. So my impact through social media is curious. I'm still working that through, but I, I am putting stuff out in all of the the media so people will get a piece of me and clearly they can contact me as they wish through through the website too awesome well simon it's been a pleasure having you on for my listeners that we've been on today uh with simon tyler uh joined us from london england and we have been talking about a new book that he has called the impact code we're also going to be uh interviewing him for his previous book um it's the simpler life is that right the Simple Way. The Simple Way. I'm sorry. Yeah. And we will be doing that, uh, of which we'll post that podcast as well. But for all of you who really want to contact him, probably the easiest way is go to simontylertyler.com. There you will find links to almost anything you need uh, about Simon. Simon, again, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth, spending a few really? minutes with my listeners. Thank you. And uh, great questions. I loved your questions. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks a bunch. Thank you.